Let's begin this morning in Genesis 12. I want to look at uh, Abraham, who was Abram at the time, uh, look at a few things here with him, and relate that to us in our lives. In verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country. And we know that he left Ur the Chaldees, and he continued on uh, on his way. But he says here also, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now Abraham left, as it says in verse 4, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now as I was reading this, I, I was wondering whether when the Lord tells him to get out of your country and from your family, if that was meaning just his family that was in Ur, the Chaldees, or is that meaning all of his family? And one of the things you see in verse 4, Abraham departed, like the Lord said, but he didn't leave all of his family because Lot was with him. And I believe that sometimes the Lord will call and ask things of us or whoever, a Christian, and we begin to move in that way, but sometimes we need help. And I have experienced this where the Lord had showed me a particular thing to do, and I didn't want to do it, but I said, okay, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. And I stepped forth to do it, but the resistance and the difficulty there was so much that the Lord had to do something to help me. See, we, I don't care how long we've been Christians, I don't really care how much a person thinks they have in God, there comes time when the Lord will put something there that is too much for us. We, what we will have to depend upon the Lord to continue to move forward in whatever that may be. And so it seems to me here that he departed and he separated from the country and from some of his family, but when Lot goes with him, still God wants a total separation here in Abraham's life. And later on, the Lord helps him. I'll show you that in a minute. In chapter 13... Well, let's just, just before we go to chapter 13, let's read verse 2. Uh, he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Or you could say, uh, not just a great nation, but I will make you. And as you see Abraham's life, where he begins here, and as he continues on, there's a progression and you can see through different dealings of God in his life and different things the Lord requires from him that the Lord is in the process of making Abram to Abraham or he's in the process of doing something in his life and put, putting certain qualities in his life that were not there in the beginning. And so he says, I will make you and I will bless you. And then the latter part of verse 2 is that you shall be a blessing. And, and I like that because it's good to be blessed by the Lord. 
But see, the Lord wants to make you a blessing, which means that you must respond to Him to receive that, whatever that may be, the blessing of God in your life, so that now there is a quality or a development, and now you have something wherewith to bless others, to be a blessing. And many times people want to take, take, take. That's the way of the world. And in Christianity, sometimes that's how it goes. Uh, initially, a young Christian, is, I believe that's the way it's, it's to be. And it's, it's, that, it's that simple. But as a person continues on, there should come a time where they become a blessing to other people. And that was the case with Abram when he became... Abraham. Now in chapter 13, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. Verse 5, and Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they may dwell, dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And that's a little PS there because that means that there are, there's going to be resistance at various times. There will try to be a disruption in the will of God or the purpose of God in Abraham's life or in whomever's. I, I noticed that in two places here in Genesis, like, like they're talking about something, then it's like a little PS in the verse that really doesn't have a direct bearing on what's being said in the verse. It's like it's put in there. The, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And that means that there's going to be some trouble somewhere down the, down the road. That... Uh, Abraham or whomever is going to have to deal with. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Now, remember what I first said, that God called Abraham to be separated from the land he was in, from his brethren, from his family. But it says in verse 4 that Lot went with him. So now the circumstances are going to be such to where now there's going to be a separation between Abraham or Abram and Lot. And God's going to ordain it that way because God wants to do something in Abraham. God wants to make a covenant with Abraham and he doesn't do that until Lot is out of the picture. Now in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate. This is Abram speaking. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And so Abram puts this, decision here before Lot. And that typifies decisions that we have to make at various times in our walk. 
some decisions we make are not all that you know, important. Other decisions we make are very important, and we many times don't see it at that time as a very, very important decision. So in verse 10, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw uh, the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go down toward Azor. So Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees. And his decision here is going to be based upon the natural, what he sees with his natural eye. And, you know, that's the way it is many times with Christians, where they will make a decision based upon what they see in the natural. And we've, you know, talked about this many times here at church. But that does not negate the fact that people still do that. And so here's the setting. Abraham's standing there. He's waiting for Lot to decide. Now, Abraham, his decision and his mode of operation is pleasing the Lord. He's interested in doing what the Lord wants him to do. That's why he got up initially from Ur of the Chaldees and left. Lot, on the other hand, he is not so interested in pleasing the Lord. And the reason why I say that is that he is, maybe, maybe in his own mind or, or thinking he's, he thinks he's pleasing the Lord, but in his decision, in his decision, he's not really pleasing the Lord. He's not really looking to the Lord. He's looking to the natural, and he's not holding that decision before the Lord saying, Lord, you know, what would you have me to do? He's looking at this area of the land, and he's looking over here, and he sees, oh, that's you know, well watered, and there's plains there, and there's plenty of room to spread out, and you know, my cattle and that will have plenty of, of water, and you know, forget about Abraham, if you know what I'm saying. It's what I want. And so his decision is based upon the natural. And so he says there in verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw. Verse 11, Then Lot chose for himself, and that's very revealing here. He chose for himself. Or another way to say it, that you know, he made the decision for himself. And he chose himself for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So Lot chose the natural. And see, whenever a choice is such where an individual chooses the natural, that will bring eventually some loss. Some loss. Loss of what could have been obtained, obtained in the spiritual. So if a person chooses... It's a self-born choice. If you choose, you will lose. Abraham, on the other hand, he did not choose, but he decided that he was going to have his heart before the Lord and allow the Lord to decide you know, what, what he should have and the direction he should go. Now, self-choices 
have all kinds of ramifications that are not apparent when the person makes the choice. And one person in the Bible that comes to mind right away when I say that is Samson. Now, Samson was a judge. He was raised up by God. And Samson never got past this natural thinking, uh, deciding and doing things based upon what he saw in the natural. And in Judges, it says that, that Samson went down to Timnath, and there he saw a woman. And so he goes to his parents, and he says to his father and mother, get her for me. And they said to him, is there no women amongst our people that you have to go and choose this daughter of the Philistines? And Samson's reply was, get her for me, she pleases me well. And that decision is based upon natural thinking, natural reason, what he saw. She was probably very beautiful. And, and that caused, uh, or maybe I shouldn't say it that way, because of the heart of Samson, the direction that he was going, his decision was based upon the natural, and that becomes the mode in which he operated. And a little while after that, you see he goes to another city, and he sees a harlot, and he goes into her. And then after that, you see him choose Delilah, and all of those choices were self-determined choices or self-determined direction in his life that he, he wanted. And at the end of his life, it says here in the Bible that they put out his eyes. And he's talking about physically, they put out his eyes. But see, his eyes spiritually were put out long before that. Because see, if you choose in the natural, if you choose, you lose. And many times Christians don't see this and they'll make a choice and that choice will not be seen. What comes out from that, the end of that, or you know, all the different things that, that will result from that are not seen for maybe 10, 15, 20 years or so. And I remember years ago, the Lord was showing me something from the book of Ruth. And I, I, says, I thought it was really, you know how it is when the Lord shows you something. I said, wow, I never heard this before. And the Lord was showing this to me. I said, this is really good. And, and what, it was re related, well, different things from Ruth, but one of them was related to the pattern in Scripture where you see Eve, how the Lord brings Eve to Adam to be his wife. And then you see it with uh, Rebecca and Isaac. He brings Rebecca to Isaac. And then you see it with Ruth. He brings her to Boaz. So I was seeing this pattern, and I thought, well, this is really good. And I, I taught some of that in Sunday school years ago. So I, the book came around to teach 
in the Bible school, and the Lord had been dealing with my heart for some time, and he said, I want you to live this, and I do not want you to choose a wife. And in order for me to teach that with some type of power or authority, the Lord wanted me to live what I was teaching. And so I said, Lord, okay. So that was the first decision. Now, whenever we make a decision, many times the Lord will test us or the enemy will come along and tempt us. And so at the time, I was driving for the post office in Pittsburgh. I was driving a two-ton truck. And I was going in and out of businesses constantly. And lo and behold, right after the Lord showed me this and wanted me to, you know, not to seek or not to make a decision to seek a wife, lo and behold, I would go into a business and there was a beautiful girl that, and I was quite younger, <laughs> a lot younger, and, you know, there's like, ah, you know, and it's like, right away, I knew this was a test. And then a few weeks later, I went into another business, and someone there brought this to my attention. I can't remember how this, this worked, but it brought this to attention that this girl here, this receptionist, was a Christian. And I could have said, yeah, well, this is the Lord providing a wife for me or providing an opening for me now to step forward and talk to the girl and ask her out or, you know, whatever. But I knew that the word of God, if, if you're going to operate in God's best, and I saw that as God's best, in other words, seek not a wife, don't date, and put all that aside, now, I know that Christians do that, but I'm talking about God's best. And so I didn't step forward, and I totally ignored this girl. So, you know, I, I tried to continue to come to church, which I was coming, and I got invited to a Bible study out in North Hills. So I went to this Bible study unaware that th these were all singles, and so I'm sitting there at this dining room table, big dining room table, and there was this beautiful girl that sat two seats from me. And the Lord would not allow me, and I was fine with it, to even look at her, to talk to her, to acknowledge her, nothing. And the seat between us was empty, and I believe the Lord was there, right in between us. So the point is this, that decision to not seek and to wait for the Lord to bring a wife to me was not something that uh, I, I could teach and not do. For that to become life as far as my individual walk, I had to walk in that and wait, and I waited for years and said, and, and that's fine with me. And so we will have choices and we will have the opportunity to be like Lot who choose, chose after the natural or to be like Abram 
who chose for God or allowed the Lord to choose for him. And the ramifications for me, looking back, see, we never see all the results of certain decisions for many years. Now, back then, if I would have done something different, my life would be totally different now. I wouldn't probably be here. I wouldn't have the children I have. I wouldn't have the wife I have. You know, my life would be totally, totally different. And most likely, if I chose in the natural, and, you know, once you start to choose in the natural, then the next choice in the natural becomes a little easier, and then the choice after that becomes a little easier, and before you know it, you're far away from walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. You're away from that because of one decision, another decision. Samson had one decision, the next decision was after the natural, the third decision was after the natural, and he lived his life that way. Now, the Spirit of God still came upon him, but as far as becoming quality or having certain characteristics of God in Samson, you never really see it. All you see is the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him to do something through him, but you never see you know, that as far as doing something in him. And so the decisions we make are very, very important. Now, in Romans, just for a minute here. We'll come back to hold your place in Genesis. There are Christians who, we know this, they move in the will and purpose of God. And there are other Christians over here that don't. And sometimes, I don't want to say in between, but there are some Christians who say that they want to know the will and purpose of God, uh, but they really uh, don't really see God's purpose for them. It's hidden. And in Romans here, Romans 12, it shows certain things that are to be in the heart and life of a Christian in order to know the will of God. Now, if you want to know the will of God for you personally, and you follow these few things that Paul says, it will place your heart in such a position before the Lord that when certain things come that have the uh, capacity to take you away from the Lord, uh, you will be able to see that and discern that, and you'll be able to discern that this is the way, this is the will, this is the purpose of the Lord for you. So in Romans 12.1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So that's, that's number one. To present yourself to the Lord a living sacrifice. And then he goes on and says, holy. And holiness is not preached much that I see anymore. Uh, you, know, you, you look in Christendom as a whole and a lot of things that are going on there and people, including leaders, pastors, are more interested in uh, activity and what have you than preaching a message about holiness or preaching in a way to evoke holiness in the people. 
<clears throat> so he says here, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or worship. And be not conformed to this world, which is another one. And then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I'll say there's three main things here. Present your, your bodies a living sacrifice, not to be conformed to this world, and then to be transformed. <coughs> be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those three things are extremely important in order to discern the will of God for your life. So let's continue on. That you may prove or that you may determine uh, <clears throat> that you would be able to determine the genuineness of something, that you would be able to discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's a lot of people that don't really understand the will and purpose of God for their life because those three things are missing in their life. They're, they're not presenting themselves, um, as it says here, uh, presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice, not being uh, transformed their mind and being conformed, not being conformed to the world, those three things. So if a person is not doing these, th these particular things, then the decisions that they make are going to lead them in a certain way. And the way that decisions are going to lead them is not toward the spirit, but toward the natural or toward the flesh. Just like you see with Abraham and Lot. Lot's decision, he decided, he looked, he saw, he, he looked at the well-watered plains of Jordan and viewed that in the natural, and his choice became based upon that, rather than allowing the Lord to work in his life, allowing the Lord to have his way, and allowing the Lord to show him what to choose or what to decide. Now, there is a verse. Let's go back to Genesis. Then we'll go to Joel, I think. Genesis 14. Now, in Genesis 14, uh, you have these four kings, and they're going into to battle against five Canaanite kings. Verse 3, all these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Okay? Verse 8, and the king of Sodom, the king of, of Gomorrah, the king, and he goes on, and they, they meet in battle there. Uh, in verse 10, now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother. So Lot's choice now costs him. When he first chose in the natural and he chose the plain of Jordan because it was well watered. He didn't realize what that choice was going to bring him in his life. So now, because he's where he is in Sodom, or close to Sodom, these kings come and take him captive. So now he's going into captivity, 
and actually has no idea or any, you know, as far as he's concerned, it's over. He's, he's done. He's in captivity. He's going to be a slave or whatever or be killed. What the Lord does is raises up Abraham. Abraham arms 300 and some servants, and they go by night and they defeat this army, and they pull Lot and his goods, all every, they pull that, uh, him out of captivity. And so this, I believe, is a type of what happens even today where Christians sometimes will choose in the natural, and then they'll make another choice in the natural, and they exclude the Lord from certain decisions they make, and before you know, they're in some type of captivity. Something's going on in their life. There is some loss or ruin there. And the Lord has to raise someone up like he did Abraham to go because, because Abraham chose or walked with God. He, he moved in the spirit. He, he, God raises someone up like that to go and deliver the Christian in some way, to help them, to reach down, to do something to cause them to, to come out from this captivity. Now, the interesting thing here is that if you go back to, I think it's Peter, Lot is called righteous. It, it's, I don't know if I can quote it. Uh, part of it is that um, righteous Lot um, was vexed. His soul was vexed because of the living of uh, those in Sodom and Gomorrah. But it uses the word just, I think, in the King James. But it's meaning righteous. So, so he was called righteous. But see, still, even if he was righteous, he still made choices in the natural. So being a Christian doesn't negate certain things coming to our life if we're going to choose in the manner that Lot chose. And there Lot lived. And because of this natural choice, he was taken into captivity. Abraham takes him, delivers him. Now, where is Lot? Where's Lot? Turn to Genesis 19. So, in a manner of speaking, you could say that Abraham delivered Lot from his bad choice, his bad decision. And by the way, that doesn't always happen. There are a lot of people that make decisions and continue to make decisions. And in their life, there's turmoil, there's ruin, there's just destruction. And they don't really connect the dots. They're not connecting these certain decisions that they made and saying, okay, now I see that this is a result, this is what happened, and now I'm going to follow those dots. Ah, now I see... This is where I made this decision that results in this. Christians many times are even blind to that and remain in the place they are. Now, so where is Lot? Now remember, <coughs> his decision landed in him. It, it says in, um, was it 13, that he pitched his tent towards Sodom and some other translations say that he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. So he was very, very close to Sodom, if not in Sodom. So he became 
captive. He's delivered. Now, where does Lot go? See, he didn't connect the dots either. Look in chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So the Lord delivered him from this decision where he pitched his tent. He was a righteous man. Delivered him from that place, brought him out, and he went right back. Now he's found and seen back in Sodom. Now he has to be delivered by an angel, or is it two angels? Two angels. So I, I was thinking, do you think that Lot figured this out? After he was delivered twice from Sodom. Now Sodom's going to be destroyed. Do you think from that point on in his life there was a change, or do you think he still was deciding after the natural? Well, from what I can see, for example, with Samson and others, when someone starts to move in a certain mode of operation where they're relating to the natural and making decisions there and making another decision and then another decision based on you know, the natural view of things, usually the individual continues in that vein, usually. So, so Lot was taken out of Sodom, but still, you know, was Sodom taken out of Lot? There was something there. I mean, even though his soul was vexed, why be there? Why did he go from the tent to Sodom? Maybe it was, a, you know, life was easier in a house rather than a tent. I mean, I can understand that. But nevertheless, he chose that direction. He chose his tent to be there. He chose to live in a house instead of in a tent out somewhere else like Abraham did. And see, these decisions cost him. Now, in, where is it here? <coughs> Chapter 19, verse 30. Then Lot went up to Zoar and dwelled in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor, and so forth. Uh, let me finish reading. And he, he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Well, so they, they can't go back to Sodom now. They're dwelling in a cave. The interesting thing here is, after this point here, you do not see the descendants, you don't see the lineage of Lot. Um, you, you do see Abraham and his lineage. Well, you do see Lot's lineage in a way because Lot, from Lot came Moab and the Moabites. So they were in the land. But whenever he made certain decisions, that excluded him from a certain place spiritually, I believe. And his lineage kind of just fades away, and the Moabites were a tribe that, you know, fought with Israel throughout, you know, the Old Testament until they were destroyed. So Lot, who was friendly toward God, he was a just man, through his decisions caused his I believe, all his descendants to go a different way, or at least influence them to go a certain way, and they become antagonistic toward 
Abraham, toward the seed of Abraham, toward um, the righteousness that, that came from Abraham believing God. And you see that through the scriptures. Now, in, it's in verse 37. The firstborn, uh, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites to this day. Now, just to let's look at 2 Chronicles for a minute. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, the thought here still is that the descendants of Lot were the Moabites. Verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon, actually, I believe that Moab and Ammon, I believe they were brothers. And so here you have the tribes that, that came, the descendants of both of those brothers, um, of Lot's descendants, uh, and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, here you have Lot's descendants now. They're coming to war against Judah. They're coming to war against Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat has a decision, just like Abraham and Lot had years ago. Jehoshaphat has a decision. And the word Jehoshaphat means Jehovah is judge. And see, Jehovah will judge irregardless. See, he's going to judge those who decide their own uh, way, make their own self-determinations uh, and decisions. And God will judge those who judge after the Spirit. And so now here... Jehoshaphat has a decision before him, and he can decide whether to look to the natural and make a decision based upon them being outnumbered or whatever, you know, may be going on there, and make a decision like that and tie the hands of God. Instead, it says here that he set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. And what takes place is the Lord comes and fights for them, and they get up and go out, and all the armies of the, of the Moabites are all dead. And that valley there is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, or turn to Joel. It has another name, Joel chapter 3. Now, the context here is talking about when the Lord brings the, the nations uh, before him in this valley to judge them. But I, want, I, I don't want to look at that. I want to look at something else here. Verse 2. I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. So it, it's called that because Jehoshaphat feared the Lord and turned to seek the Lord. And that was his decision. See, we have the same decision. You know, whether we will decide to turn to the Lord or we will decide ourselves. Verse 12. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes, 
in the valley of decision. Now you see that. That's another name for the valley of Jehoshaphat because of what took place years before this. It's called the valley of decision. And see, we will all, all of us, end up in this valley of decision where the day of the Lord is near, it says, in the valley of decision. And we will all have decisions to make. And our decisions, many times, not seen in the beginning, will be seen 10, 15, 20 years from now. Uh, the results of certain decisions are pretty awesome. And I was actually thinking about this, and I think about this once in a while, about the day that uh, the gospel was preached to me. And, um, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church, you know, went to Catholic school. And what they did back then was you went to, ch you went to school at 8 o'clock, you went over to the church, you went to church from 8 to 8.35, you came back over, you ate a little breakfast, and classes started. That was every day. But I didn't know the Lord. See, religion, you know, we know that. It, it, can't, it can't bring relationship. But nevertheless, there was some foundation there that the Lord was building so that whenever the gospel was initially preached to me, I, I could not understand why I was not told this before, that you must receive Christ to be born again. And so after two hours of this individual sharing, I don't want to say preaching, sharing, two hours. It might have been longer. It might have been three hours. It was probably 12 or 1 in the morning. And she says, would you, and I was with other people, would, would you all like to receive Christ as your Savior? And I look back at that, and I thank God that his spirit touched my heart somehow, some way. I, I don't know how. But he touched my heart so that there was a response. And I said, yes. And that decision changed, totally changed the course of my life. Totally. I, you know, I can't even imagine where I would be today, what my life would be like today. And that was quite a decision then. And then I could see on down the road a few years, another decision was before me. And I saw the Lord leading. I don't know how, but I saw the Lord leading. And he said, this is the way, this is what I want you to do. And I think, what if I wouldn't have made some of these decisions? What if I would have decided to choose for myself like Lot did and choose after the natural? Oh, that's a beautiful girl. You know, she's a Christian. She's going to Bible study. You know, what's wrong with talking to her? You know, what's wrong with just getting together and having a cup of coffee? I believe that if I would have made that decision, I would not be where I am today. And the Lord, I believe still, you know, there are Christians out there that the Lord has them and, and deals with them and gives them grace where they are. But that does not really mean that they're moving in certain things and moving in the spirit the way the Lord desires. And 
I look back and think about some of these things, and I say, Lord, it's only by your grace. It is only by your grace. You know, I, I thank him. And so whenever we're faced with some decision, we might not know. We might not hear the Lord say this or that. But see, we have to turn our hearts to him and seek him in that so that we're, we're deciding uh, maybe a decision we have to make, like now. And we're saying, Lord, I'm not quite sure, but help me. And then make the decision and, and just watch the circumstances. Because sometimes I had this happen to me once. I made a decision and I could see right away it wasn't the right one. I said, Lord, help me. And he helped me just turn that thing right around. And it was the right, right thing. And so God is good. He's really good. And he wants us to, to seek him and not to decide after the natural.